So real quick, just a, a administrative item, and then we'll jump to James. That um, I mentioned the the Bible Institute that. Um, you've heard about and because we didn't do the state of the church last week there's a lot of information that um we weren't able to get out so the the bible institute that 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 sounds more complicated than it is What, what we're basically doing is we're continuing to do sunday school we're continuing to do adult classes but what we've done is as we do that throughout the year we're highlighting certain classes that if you take them over the course of two years, gives you a Bible core. It would be very similar to what you would get if you went to a Bible college and did a one-year Bible certificate program, and those are very common. So if you've always wanted to go to Bible college or you feel like, hey, there's some deficiencies in my understanding of Scripture, or you just want a good refresher, um, I'd encourage you to to take those courses. There'll be courses offered each semester. The, The first one of the core that we're doing right now is the one that David's doing next door on Bible Introduction. And then later on this year, we'll have some survey classes and and some other things. Um, Every Sunday, we will continue to do an expositional class like this one, like the one Don's doing in the Psalms. So if you just enjoy working through biblical books like we do, that's great. And you just, you know, continue doing that. And we're going to try to offer a variety there as well. But that's what the Bible Institute is. And and that's what uh, we're starting here as a, a sort of a more programmatic way to get a basic Bible understanding. Um, the other thing that I want to announce also, and, and if you watch Pastor Terry's video update and read the newsletter, you know this. So we, we really, really wanted to tell you last Sunday, and then, of course, we, we got snowed out. But uh, we are really excited about our new uh, building plan for this next year. Actually, it's, it's more than just a building plan. It's, it's, uh, we've sort of uh, renovated our master plan that we've had for many years in our church and, and adapted it based on where we're at today and our needs and uh, the, the phase one of that master plan is to actually finally, Lord willing, build a parking lot back there. And as much as we love driving in the dirt, uh, we want to put a nice-looking parking lot there for accessibility, for safety reasons. Um, there's going to be ADA access, so our, our, our folks that have trouble moving around, there's going to be a handicap, and you pull right in there and a nice ramp to get you right down in. And, and so it's really going to be nice. And um, so we we... We've rescheduled State of the Church for February 7th, so we're still going to talk about it, but we wanted to get that information to you today so you can be thinking and praying about that and getting excited about it as we are too. It's kind of like as Christmas approaches and you're so eager to give that gift to somebody, right? And so we just got a little anxious there, so we wanted to give you a preview. So pray for that. Uh, it's a big project and it's a bit ambitious in terms of the time frame because uh, we, we want to get it started and done before the end of the summer so that we can have it especially for the start of our fall ministries, uh, including our big counseling conference. So uh, if you would pray with us and uh, talk to the, any of the elders about that, and then we will have a more formal presentation on February 7th uh, where we uh, we talk about all of that in more detail. But just wanted to give you a heads up on that if you haven't seen the video update already. Okay, so let's turn in our Bibles Uh, Not to James, not to James just yet, um, but turn with me in your Bible to 2 Timothy. Why do we need the book of James? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us why I think that studying James right now is of particular importance and help. Uh, I don't need to tell you, just looking at what's happened in the last two weeks in our country and what continues to go on, um, it's a mess, 
Uh, you know, you almost run out of adjectives to know how to describe it, right? It, it's, it's epic, it's overwhelming, it's uh, unprecedented. Um, th- this is the red-letter moment in our year. Uh, when, when, tr- when history is written about our generation, this, this is going to be the thing that everybody talks about. And the question we need to be asking ourselves is, how would God want us to take advantage of such a particular time in our history for His glory and for the furtherance of the gospel? Right? I mean, that, that should be what we're thinking every day, but it's like, Things are changing rapidly. Things are changing. I mean, I mean, these these young folks right here, Rhea and Caleb and, and Aiden, right? You know, they can they can think. They're young. They can think a year ago when it wasn't like this, right? And things are really different now, isn't it? Very, very different. And so e- even our young people, literally in a very short time, have said, "Hey, look at these changes." Most of us see changes like that over generations, right? We say, "We all, oh, I wasn't like that when I was a kid." You know, now I'm old, and so, that's what we say. But you see these changes happening so quickly and, and so uh, overtly in terms of uh, how how radical some of the changes have been. So I'm going to direct you to Second Timothy chapter three, and just just let, let's just get a running start into James by reading these words. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days... Let's just stop right there. When are the last days? When are the last days? Now. Yeah. Uh, Paul is referencing now. Okay? So realize this in the last days. That's right now. Okay? Difficult times will come. For men will be... Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, lawless we might say, right? Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, just constant fighting, constant contentions, with no reconciliation possible, right? Malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God even though they hold to a form of godliness, they deny its power. And Paul reminds us to avoid such men as these. And he goes on to talk about some specifics that Timothy was dealing with there in the church in Ephesus. But do you see this? Now, Paul's writing this in in the mid to late first century when there was already all sorts of persecution going on, the Roman Empire and, and, and Jewish persecution and, and all these sorts of things. But he says, you know what? Things are going to get worse. And when we read this, we say, you know what? The, God is telling us, look, this is going to happen. This is how you need to respond. Uh, so we're not caught off guard. Um, those of you that are, that are students of world history understand that, that when there are pockets of moments where countries and large-scale 
populations of people are gospel-believing believers, that those are both rare and temporary, aren't they? Rare and temporary. And for some reason, our country has enjoyed a, a particularly longer season. As I mentioned, there were two different great, great awakenings that happened since the founding of our country where we were straying and there was a, a dramatic work of the Spirit to bring men and women back in large-scale repentance. And we think of guys like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and the Wesley brothers, John and Charles Wesley, that were a part of some of those movements. But here we are today. We, we have run the car off the road. Uh, the, the, the car that is the moral reality of America is is not, not just in the ditch, but is accelerating in the ditch. And how do we respond to that? What do we do? And uh, James was written for just a time as this. And I think, I think this is going to be so helpful and encouraging and perspective and, and guidance. So now, uh, if you would turn from uh, Timothy, just turn over a few pages to James and, and let's jump in here. We're going to uh, get our feet wet here in terms of our study in the book of James. And uh, just one minute, we'll get the PowerPoint going while you're turning to James. Okay. There we go. And we got it on the screen, Quinn. Hey, look at that. Thank you. The wonders of modern technology. Thank you, sir. Okay, so James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to just... Just get our handle on the book today, uh, get a handle on the book today, and, and um, your homework assignment, I'm telling you this up front, and I'll remind you at the end, your homework assignment is to read through the book of James every week. I'd love for you to read through it every day, because it's, it's really short, but read through it at least once every week, and uh, if you're going to master this book, the first thing you have to do is saturate your mind with it. Okay, some of you, some of you I know have memorized it when Susan Heck was here uh, many years ago uh, doing a women's retreat, and I know she challenged a lot of our ladies on, on whole book memorization. So this is a great book to memorize if you've ever thought about memorizing a whole book of Scripture. Uh, so you can consider doing that. But the title of our study, and this is a working title as we get into it, I might change it a little bit, but we're just going to call it this, Real Faith in Difficult Times. Because what James is doing is he's bringing together two ideas. He's trying to answer the question, first of all, what is a real Christian? What is a real believer? Now, remember, when he writes this, the church is brand new. I mean, the church is literally still in the infant ward at the hospital when James writes this. It's brand new. It's not developed yet. It's not been around for very long. And so he's writing to help us to see what does real faith look like. But he's writing not in a vacuum, not in neutrality, not when everything's great. He's not on a vacation in Maui when he's writing this. He's writing this in Jerusalem as the first wave of persecution has come. And as we read there in verse 1, what have happened? So, so the, the, well, let me ask you this. Who are the 12 tribes? Who are those? That's Israel, right? That The 12 tribes of Israel. Now, what does it say those 12 tribes, what's happened to them? They're dispersed abroad. Why, why are they dispersed? Because of persecution. So what's happening is Jews largely are attacking other Jewish people who have converted to Christianity. 
And, and the, and you can, can you imagine? Imagine what Granberry would be like if people were assaulting you and your families and your workplace. You couldn't get a job, right? You couldn't have any peace in your home. You couldn't own land. No one would, would uh, open a bank account for you or, or sell you insurance or, or, uh, you know, they, they'd hike up the price of groceries when you went to HEB. And, and, and the world, it just got so difficult. You said, we've got to go. We've got to move. You, you, can you imagine what it would be like if Granberry ever got that bad where we said, we can't live here anymore. We've got to move. So that's what's going on in Jerusalem when James picks up his pen to write. They, they literally can't live there because of the persecution. So they disperse. The 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. Sometimes we call this the diaspora. Have you heard that term before? The diaspora, the dispersed ones. And uh, so that's what's going on here. And, and so we're going to call this real faith in difficult times. What does it mean to live your faith, to live our faith in an authentic way when times are difficult? And, and, and here, I never really saw this before in James, but... Um, but, but here's what's interesting. I think what James is going to do is as he, he's going he's gonna to write and, and, and show us this is what a real Christian looks like, right? This is what a real believer looks like. But, but here's also what he's doing in that. I think what he's doing in showing us what a real Christian is, is he's not just saying, oh, here's what a real Christian is, sort of in, in this you know, non-context. He's saying, here's what a Christian is, when persecution and difficulty arise. He's going he's gonna to paint a portrait of the faithful man of God, the faithful woman of God, when difficult times come. So yes, he shows us what a real Christian looks like, but you know what also he's doing? He, he's helping us to know how do we respond when difficult times come. Now, if you know the book, the book is exceedingly practical. You, you ready for this? He's going to talk about why you're tempted. He's going to talk about times when you're tempted to accuse God of why you're tempted. He's going to talk about garden variety issues that happen in your kitchen and living room every week. Things like conflict and, and anger and frustration. He's going to talk to you about how you use your tongue and your language and your words. He's going to talk to you about showing partiality in the church. Right. And, and, you know, who am I buddying up to? Right. And who am I avoiding in the church? He's going to talk about real religion, that real religion is not about coming into this this room and and, uh, you know, doing the things we do, that that real faith is looking for the weak and the afflicted and helping them and ministering to them and visiting them. He's going to talk to us about conflict and anger and true repentance. He's going to talk about prayer and its role. He's going to talk about elders and, and, and what do you do when somebody's living in sin and he, all these different topics. And I was looking at that list. I thought, you know what? Those are all the things that we are tempted to do when life gets difficult. Right? I, just, 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 you don't need to put your hand up, but just answer in your head, okay? Have you struggled with sinful anger more this last year than maybe in a typical year? I'll raise my hand. Have you struggled to try to get along with other people and avoid conflict and try to work together maybe more than in previous years? I'll put my hand up. Have you struggled to guard your words and your tongue and your mouth from all sorts of 
ways that we express how we really think about what's going on. I'll put my hand up. See, I think that's what he's doing. He's not just saying, hey, you know, a real Christian guards his tongue. And you know, what he's saying is, this is a real Christian, but here are the ways that you and I are going to be tempted when life gets difficult. So it's not just a roadmap for what a true Christian looks like. It's a roadmap of, of um, potholes in the road when life gets difficult so that we can avoid those things and hopefully flourish. Now, why is it important? Let me just ask you this. Why is it important that we are on our A game in terms of our mission as a church, as Christians right now? Why, why is today, it's so important that we are ready for this? How come? What's that? We don't have a lot of time. Okay, that, that's right. Why else? It's our best defense. It's our best defense? Yeah. Okay. What's that? For the sake of the gospel. Yeah. Uh, do, do you know how many Christians have had the rug pulled out from under them? Because what's happened in the last month is they realized they were leaning too much on a political process for their hope. And you know what it's like when you get the rug pulled out from you. That's no fun. That's scary. And when you feel like that, you start making bad decisions, you start reacting in sinful ways, you, you start, you know, choosing things that you otherwise wouldn't choose. That's a scary place to be. So, so here's the thing, guys. We have to have our own hearts in order. We, we have to look at what's going on and say, I am managing this in my heart with God's help and I'm okay, right? That, that management is the prerequisite. The, the, having our own heart in order is the prerequisite then to be faithful in this hour of history in getting the gospel. If we're all distraught about what happened in politics or what happened in COVID and all that, we're not going to be thinking, oh, gee, I should be next door talking to my neighbor about where hope really lies. I'm not going to be doing that because i got such a mess going on in my heart. So that's why this is so important. And, um, yeah, our, our, our grandkids, maybe our great-grandkids, for some of you, or our great-great-grandkids, We'll look back on this time in history at our example of what it meant to live our faith in difficult days. What will they see? What will they point to? And that's why I think, I I, I say that and I'm like, I need help. I need help with that. So I'm just speaking for myself, but I think James is going to help us with that. Okay, so that's where we're going. Buckle your seatbelts, here we go, okay? Okay. who is the author? Well, yeah, I know you read the thing, but uh, how many Jameses are there in the New Testament? Four. Some of you are looking ahead on your notes. That's okay. There are four. Um, which one? There is James the Apostle, right? He's the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee. Uh, do you remember? What, you guys remember what, what was the other name for the the sons of Zebedee? Do you remember? Sons of thunder. Um, does that does that bring a picture? These these were people that were uh, passionate. Uh, you know, maybe they were converted religious protesters or something. I don't know. I anyway, but uh, so yeah, the, the sons of thunder, right? The sons of Zebedee, 
And uh, you know what's interesting? Uh, hold your place here. Turn back to, uh, to Acts chapter 1 for a moment. And uh, this is interesting because in one verse we get an overview of several of the Jameses of the Bible. I'm going to make you experts in Jamesology, right? The Jameses of the Bible. In Acts chapter 1, as uh, Jesus has gone back to heaven and they're waiting for the, the pouring out of the Spirit on Pentecost, so they, they kind of do a roll call here in uh, chapter 1, verse 13. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is, and here, here's the roll call, Peter and John and James and Andrew. So there, there's, uh, there's James uh, that uh, was the brother of John there, right? So John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew. Now look at this. James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of. What does it say? James. So in one verse, how many Jameses do we have? You got to count them. Go back and count. How many Jameses do we have in one verse there? Three. Okay, so you got James the Apostle, the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee, that's one. There's the other James the Apostle, the son of Alphaeus. He's mentioned here also, right? Saint, uh, James, the son of Alphaeus. And we got James, the father of Judas, the Apostle. Now, now, <laughs> wouldn't you like to be the, the other Judas? <laughs> how, how lousy would that be, right? You know, your your starting conversation, if you were the other Judas and the twelve apostles would be, no, not that one. I'm not that guy, right? Because this is not Judas Iscariot, who you know denied the Lord, um, uh, uh, betrayed him, and then went and committed suicide. This is the other Judas. There was another uh, Judas who was also an apostle. These are these are common names, right? And so this Judas was the son of James. His dad was James, and the reason uh, the Bible tells us that is to distinguish him from Judas Iscariot. So there's James the apostle, the brother of John, James the apostle, the son of Alpheus, James the father of Judas, the apostle, but not Judas Iscariot. Those are the three of the four James, and guess what? We're missing one. We're missing the half-brother of Jesus. Okay, now, uh, if you're in Acts, just, just back up a little way, because this is really interesting, especially if you've grown up in a, in a Catholic uh, background or um, uh, a more traditional background because Catholic theology taught that that Mary was sort of the um, the, the forever virgin right the the, the um, and and because of that they would believe that Mary never had other children and maybe you've heard that before right and, and uh, you know they have an explanation for that you know they were actually Joseph's children and uh, but but that that that's that's stretching the biblical record beyond what it actually says. Uh, the reality is Jesus had brothers and sisters. Joseph and Mary had other children besides Jesus, and we understand that uh, Joseph was not the uh, ultimate father of Jesus. Uh, that Mary was uh, incarnate by the Holy Spirit. We just celebrated that at, at Christmas time. But Joseph and Mary had other children, other brothers and sisters, and the Bible talks about them. So, for example, in Matthew chapter thirteen, verse. Uh, 55, we read this. Uh, is not this the carpenter? So this is after um, uh, he was preaching and with all the parables and whatnot. 
and then he came back to his hometown. Verse 55, is this not the carpenter's son? Is this, is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James? There it is. And Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So he, he, he's a prophet, right? And they're going, isn't this the carpenter's boy? And aren't these his brothers and sisters that live here? And so they, he had other brothers and sisters and Mark makes the same mention. What's interesting is that we learn from the Bible that his brothers and sisters did not believe in him. They were not following him. So, uh, for example, in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, a similar account, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us? And Mark adds, and they took offense at him. So um, what we see here is that it doesn't appear that uh, Jesus' brothers and sisters were followers of him. Interestingly enough, James became... Well, let me ask you this. When did James, Jesus' brother, become a follower? After the resurrection. That's right. After the resurrection. So, um, so what are our choices here when we think about the author? It could be James the Apostle, the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee, James the Apostle, son of Alphaeus, James the father of Judas the Apostle, not Judas Iscariot, James the brother of Jesus. It could be another James that's unmentioned in the New Testament. But we have good historic uh, and traditional precedent uh, to believe with a very strong amount of confidence that the writer of our letter was James the brother of Jesus. Now, isn't this interesting? So, so Caleb, uh, imagine that you got to write a book about your brother someday. How would that be? <laughs> Aiden looked over like, what? So, uh, all right, so this, this, is, this is somebody who grew up with Jesus, who knew him, who rejected him for most of Jesus' adult life, and then became a believer shortly before Jesus went back to heaven. Um, so th- this is re- a really interesting perspective if you think about it. Uh, he became a follower of Jesus after the resurrection, as I mentioned, and uh, we, we see some references to this. Uh, first of all, in uh, I'll just read 1 Corinthians uh, 15. You don't need to turn there unless you want to. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, as Paul is, is writing to the Corinthians about Christ's resurrection and the importance of the resurrection, and it's interesting. So after the resurrection, Paul says, and Jesus appeared to all these people. So this is chapter 15, verse 6. And after he, that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. And here's, here's 1 Corinthians 15, 7. Then he appeared to James. Then, listen, to all of the apostles. So what Paul is saying is Jesus appeared to James and then he appeared to all the apostles. So that rules out the two apostles that were called James, right? So this is that third James. This is the James, the brother of Jesus, who we assume Jesus appeared to him uh, and that means that he was now a, a follower. He also became a leader in the church in Acts. And we'll come back and look at this in a moment. Um, uh, uh, he became a leader in the church as referenced in Acts. And um, do, do you know where he, where did he, what, which church did he sort of oversee? Do you remember? The church in Jerusalem. You think that was a pretty important church? You know, that, that's like, that's like, uh, that's like Dallas Baptist or something like that, right? It's just like this big, uh, centrally located place. 
Okay, so that's, that's something of our author. He was also the overseeing elder, as we mentioned there, at the church in Jerusalem, and all those references will help us to, to see that. Okay? Uh, interesting, the historian Josephus records that James was ordered to die by stoning when a new high priest named An, uh, Ananus... An, Anan, I can't even say that. Ananus, uh, the second, accused him of lawbreaking. And then after being taken to the pinnacle, this is interesting, by being take, after being taken to the pinnacle of the temple by the scribes and Pharisees, they threw him down. He survived the fall, and afterward they began to stone him to death. And when he persisted in life, finally one of the high priests took a club and struck him over the head and killing him. And that, that's that's sort of a a compilation of various accounts of his death. Josephus and some other historians mention it. So James was one of the early martyrs of the church. Uh, this man died uh, for his faith and for his involvement in, um, in the early church. Interesting. Uh, anybody know what this is? Of course you do because it says it on the screen. Uh, let me move this out of the way so you can see it. This is the James ossuary, or what is called a bone box. How many remember this in, in the news uh, a few years ago? And uh, interesting, they, they had found that these ossuaries um, were one of the ways, one of the ancient ways um, that they would take, um, what, what would happen was they would, they would take a person, after they died, they'd put them in a tomb, their body would deteriorate, and then after a time they would take the bones and they would put them in a box for preservation, you know, similar to the modern-day caskets that we use today. And um, back in uh, the early 2000s, some archaeologists discovered one of these ossuaries that had an inscription, James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus, on it. And uh, if you remember that, it was really interesting when all this came out. And uh, uh, I had kind of lost track of the literature because, you know, it was shown to be authentic and then it was thought to be a forgery and and uh, doing some reading on this the last couple of weeks. And uh, the, there's a good, at least amongst some of the leading scholars, belief that this is actually an authentic artifact. Uh, so, I mean, we'll never know, I suppose, for sure. But uh, anyway, so, so perhaps this is the, uh, the bone box of uh, James, the brother of Jesus. Okay. The letter of James was written about 46 A.D. Now, what does that tell you? Just hearing that date, what do you what do you think about when you hear that? That's not very long after Jesus actually lived, right? You know, if we if we mark about 33 to 35 A.D. as the time where he uh, died and rose again and went back to heaven, and we're talking a little over 10 years later. So, um, now let me ask you this. What is the earliest New Testament book written? What, what was the first of, of the of the twenty-seven books in the New Testament? What, what was the first one written? Do you know? Okay, that's a good thought. And First Thessalonians was early. Greg is right. That was a very early book. It was probably the book of James. And it makes sense because of how early we know that it was written. And Greg's right that, that uh, First Thess was written shortly after. Okay, why do we think 46 A.D.? Well, James was martyred in 62 A.D. We have good historic accounts 
of uh, the high priest who was in power who made that order and Josephus and others that substantiate the date. There was a major church council meeting in Jerusalem in 49 AD. That's Acts 15. This is the Jerusalem council. You remember this, right? It was when um, the early church was trying to figure out what do we do with Gentile believers? Because most, most believers in the early days of the church were Jewish, right? So, so they're still doing a lot of Jewish things, but they've converted to Christianity. And now they've got these Gentiles that don't know anything about the Jewish religion. And so the early church is going, what should we do with all of these non-Jewish Christians? And so the Jerusalem council was uh, uh, held to try to answer some of those early questions. And James was one of the presiding pastors at that meeting. Now, that is not mentioned in the book of James, and so that helps us to see that it was probably dated earlier than that. So, so here's, your, here's your spreadsheet, okay? Um, this is probably uh, the order of the New Testament books here, and you can see uh, James likely was the very first book that was um, that was written, and, and you'll see you'll close uh, uh, to First and Second Thess there, uh, but um, but still pretty early. And then you see First Corinthians and fifty five, Second uh, Corinthians shortly after, Galatians, Romans, and this is of course just a partial list, but uh, but that gives you an idea. So so not only do not only do we get to read a book by the brother of Jesus about a topic that is so relevant for today, we get to read probably the very first New Testament book that's written. And uh, that's that's just incredible to see what did it look like as uh, the the first pastors were trying to help people to know how to live out their faith. Uh, The audience, as we mentioned, these are Jews who lived in Palestine that were quite hostile to those Jews who had believed in Christ and became Christians, and as such, many of the Jews fled Palestine to other areas of the world. The, the spreading that we call the, the diaspora, which is the Greek word for dispersion, uh, referencing James chapter 1, the, the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. Okay, And uh, here's another thing, too. Um, historically, you remember in Acts 7, Stephen, who was the first martyr that we know of mentioned in the Bible, and King Herod Agrippa, the first persecution, may have been factors in this initial wave of persecution. So you know how it is, right? There, there's a mob that rises up. They kill a Christian, and everybody's excited about that, right? And that gives more energy to the persecution, to the mob. And uh, so like I said, uh, Jerusalem just got too hostile, especially for Jewish Christians. And so these, these men and women had to leave their homes for safer areas. Uh, so James, a Jewish Christian, is writing to those Jews who lived outside of Palestine. So, so they're dispersed. They're, they're not centrally located in Jerusalem anymore. Well, you say, well, where are they? Where, if you look on the map here, um, and you can see, I don't have my, uh, my laser with me here, but, um, but you can see as you go to the north, so you've got, you know, Jerusalem is, where are we here? Jerusalem is right here. And uh, so they're dispersing out. The best place for them to go was north and eventually west. So you see them going up toward, see where it says Phoenicia, way up there by Syria. And then if you come around where the, where the med uh, curves to the west, to the left, 
um, and you get into that upper region there, what was called Asia Minor in those days, today it's, it's Turkey, um, that that's where many of those tribes likely uh, went to flee. Going south wasn't particularly a good option. Um, so here it is, if you look a little bit further north, um, so that big landmass there is basically Turkey today, but back then uh, it was known as uh, Galatia, Cappadocia, Sicilia, Cilicia, excuse me, in Syria, um, Poseidon. Uh, so those are all the areas that these Jewish Christians likely would have fled to. And you'll notice some, some important cities there. There's Antioch and Tarsus and Derbe and Lystra and Colossae, Ephesus, Antioch. So, so those are all, those are all cities that we hear about. And you're saying, wait a minute, you know, we hear about those in the book of Acts. There's Christians there. There's churches there. Yeah. A lot of those churches, a lot of those Christians ended up there because of this persecution that happened in the first century. Okay, uh, the place that it was written from is Jerusalem, and uh, that's where James lived and resided. He was an elder of the church there, and uh, there are lots of references to Jerusalem in our book. Uh, we see in, chap- in James chapter 1, verse 11, uh, we see a reference uh, there, and uh, in chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, and uh, so on and so forth. So we-, we see some references to that general area in our book of James. So as you read the book of James, uh, I want you to do a couple of things, okay? So, so your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to read the book at least one time. And, and here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to read it in one sitting. Read through the whole book. Don't read one chapter a day. I mean, you can do that. But, but sometime this week, and I hope every week for the next 15 weeks, I want you to read through the whole book of James at least one time. It'll only take you a few minutes. It doesn't take you very long. And uh, that, that way you can get a sense of the flow of everything. One of the things we have to remember about the Bible is, um, you've done this before, right? You know, maybe, uh, maybe you got to the movie theater a little bit late one time and you walk in and you're spilling popcorn over people in the dark, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, to get to your seat. And, and then you're there and your friends are there and uh, you know, it's 15, 20 minutes into the movie and you're like, who's that? What's going on? Now, what just happened? Why did that happen? Who is that? And, and is that right? And, and, and you don't like that guy, do you? You don't like that guy. You, you want, just be quiet. Pay attention to the movie, right? And that's what happens if you just read one chapter of the Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you just read one chapter a day and, and you kind of get lost and all that, you're, you're prone to be just as lost as coming into a movie halfway through it. So there's value in reading through whole books of the Bible in one setting so that you can get a sense of the context. Now, let me give you a couple of hints. Um, (laughs) Written by the brother of Jesus, one of the earliest books written, which means you're going to see parallels, probably more parallels in this book than any other New Testament letter to the Gospels of Jesus. In fact, one of the the things you can do is you're reading through James. If you're reading through James and you go, oh, Jesus talked about that. Jesus talked about that. Oh, yeah, Jesus taught on that. Just just make a little pencil mark in James. And I want you to count the number of references that you find in the book of James to teachings of Jesus in the Gospels. You will be amazed at the correlation that's there. Here's a second hint. I want you to note the structure of the book. As you're reading, I want you to try to figure out, you know, when does he change subjects? When does he change themes? You know, you know where, where is he going? And just not, not really outline the book, but just kind of get a sense of where he is. Okay, so uh, I'm going to come back next week 
And I'm going to say, what was chapter 5 about? What was chapter 4 about? What was chapter 3? What was chapter 2? What was chapter 1? And I, I want you to be able to tell me something about what's in that chapter. Okay? And we understand a lot of times the themes don't line up exactly with each chapter. But, you know, I, I want you, if I say chapter 4, I want you to come back and say conflict, anger, repentance. If I say chapter 2, I want you to be able to say faith, works, and partiality, right? Because those are the major themes of it. Chapter 3, the tongue, largely about the tongue. So, so let, that's, I want you to get familiar with that as you build the structure. And the third thing is, and, and maybe you can take a, 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 your pencil and make a little star or something like that, note the number of commands. How many times does James tell his readers, I want you to do this? He's not giving suggestions. He's giving apostolic, divinely inspired orders to the early church. Okay? You ready? This is going to be fun. This is going to be a great journey and, and I think uh, so relevant. So relevant. I mean, just listen to this. Consider it all joy, my brethren. Did you hear that? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Oh, we need to hear that. We need to hear that and believe it and preach it to ourselves and tell our kids. And when we get frustrated at our phone and our news app, we need to come back to this and say, this is what we need and this is what we need to believe. And I think as we do that, we will be well equipped to respond in our own hearts and in our ministry uh, to the day and hour in which we live. All right, let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you. We are excited to jump into the book of James together and, and study it and read it and uh, meditate on it and, and apply it to our own challenges and our own hearts, uh, but also to think about how this prepares us for faithful gospel mis- uh, ministry in a, a very contentious and changing rapidly uh, season that we live in. Uh, Father, how we need the wisdom that this book talks about, how we need the direction that this book gives about how we live and how we respond and how we quiet our hearts, how we guard our words, how we help one another, how we repent when we see that we've, we've gone off the road with society and we need to get back on the road. And uh, so thank you for the opportunity to open your word and, and uh, minister to our own hearts, we pray, and equip us to be faithful uh, to do your work of sharing the gospel today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.